This is episode 26 of Going Beyond Salvation, season 3, and this is your host, Joseph Robinson, and we are finishing up our weekly podcast with the book of Luke for this next episode, and so we're jumping into Luke chapter 14, verses 25, and he talks about the cost of being a disciple and counting the cost. And, you know, we see in this chapter, he, he's talking about if anyone comes to him, but does not as hate his father, mother, his wife and children, his brothers and sisters. Yes. Even his own life. He cannot be my disciple. And what it is that he's talking about essentially in, in this section is, you know, he doesn't want you to literally hate your mother and your father, it, it means love. The word actually means love less and which means, you know, we still love them, but we don't put them above God. You know, God ends up becoming, you know, Jesus becomes first. And in this chapter, you know, it's talking about the cost of of being a disciple about, you know, somebody who wants to build a tower you know, counts the cost and then, you know, or a king that, you know, thinks about going to war. And it's, it's teaching that, you know, whoever desires to follow Jesus and be his disciple, you know, we need to first decide whether or we are prepared to pay the cost because, you know, it, the real cost of discipleship is to give up all relationships and possessions you know, it doesn't mean that we must reject all we have, but that all we have must be placed at Christ's service. That includes our family, you know, it includes our spouses. It's the cost of discipleship. And, you know, it's interesting to to note that. And so that's just essentially, you know, and, and you see, you know, and in, in America, it's a lot easier for somebody to become a Christian in a way because we have so many freedoms that most of the countries don't. You know, there are countries where, you know, people are essentially having to really count the cost when they decide whether they're going to be a disciple of Christ because it could mean, you know, really losing their job, even to dying, um, being martyred for, for Christ because of that. And immediately, you know, it's kind of interesting with Luke, you know, immediately jumps from this cost of discipleship and talking about the parable of the lost sheep and the parable of, of the lost coin and, and even the, the parable of the lost son. And it's essentially, you know, you have the, the sheep that was part of the, the, the flock and then lost its way. And the father goes out to, the person goes out to find them rejoicing over one. And then the lost coin that, you know, turning everything over. And so when you think about the cost of the discipleship in a way as well, it means also that because there's others out there that, that are lost and, and when one sinner, you know, in each, every one, you know, when one sinner repents, heaven rejoices. And, 
you know, essentially, you know, we have to go search out, especially as being a disciple. It's not just us, you know, taking in all this information, you know, as I as I've said always, and we'll, and we'll see in the book of Acts where Jesus commands us to be witnesses and to those around us. And, and so that starts off there. And I want to just talk about the, the parable of the lost son. The, the parable of the lost son is so interesting and, you know, in, in a way, and there's just so much to it. And actually, if you've done the Enneagram study, you know, and, and figured out your personality, if you are actually a type one, which is known as perfectionist, a perfectionist shows up in, in the, the parable of the lost son. And what essentially happens is you see the son who ends up leaving, you know, one, he takes everything that you know, from his father's estate, he takes his share of his estate and then goes and squanders it. That's essentially when you're thinking about our, our own lives as believers, you know, it's taking what we had from God and just essentially just giving it all up for the pleasures of this world. And then when the trial came and the son is, you know, he has no food and he's feeding these pigs he realizes that, you know, his, his father's servants, you know, it, it's not an, ex, you know, exactly repentance, but he realizes that his servants, you know, his hired men have food to spare and that he was going to go back and say, I'm not even worthy to be your son, but I'll be a hired man. So he goes back and it's so interesting to see the father, the father was looking off. And I think he'd been looking off to find the son for a long time. And I just want to say to people, you know, if you have spouses or, you know, parents, if you have children that have turned away from the Lord, you know, or they're not serving the Lord, you know, look at the Lord. He, or this father in this story, he was always looking and ready for his son to come back. And he comes and he puts his arms around him and he kisses him. And the father, you know, the son was expecting, you know, I, I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But instead, the father rejoices. He He's like, puts his ring and, and a robe and they kill the fattened calf to celebrate. And that the son came back. And, and I think that is a, a testimony to us believers that when somebody in our family or somebody, even somebody who's in the church, who walks away, you know, denounces Christ, but then ends up coming back, we have to be there with open arms for these people. Because we see here with the older son, the older son is, you know, he refused to go in. He becomes angry when he finds out. So the father goes out and he's like trying to get him to come to this party. But his whole thing is, you know, I've been here with you all these years and you never give me a go or even so to celebrate with my f friends and that I've been here slaving for you. 
if you are a type one personality um, based on the Enneagram, which the reason why I'm speaking to it is because I tested type one as well. And what it is, is with a type one when, and you can actually use these in church service, the different types of personalities and how they would work in a church service setting. Type ones are the ones that are always there. They're loyal. They're the ones that are helping out, like ushering. They're, they're the faithful ones. They're the faithful tithers. They're there. The problem with type one personalities is we tend to, if we see somebody not doing, we, we don't have empathy. When we see somebody, you know, like this prodigal son that, you know, went and squandered and then just came back, we're sitting here and, you know, they're getting praised and all of a sudden we're like, wait a minute, we've been here this whole time and we don't even get a, even a simple thank you. And because, I mean, the words he says, but when this son of yours, you know, he was essentially going, I have nothing to do with him. But, you know, and as believers, we have to be careful to not do that as as believers, especially if you're type one, we tend to say, well, you should have done this. We have to learn to give grace to people because not everyone is a type one. Some are type seven and type seven are the ones that actually irritate the type ones. And, and the reason why I know is because my husband has a little bit of type seven in him. And there are times I'm sitting here going, you know, he's, He's more of a type five, which is intelligent, which I have a little bit of that in me, you know, so we get along a little bit, but there's sometimes his type seven comes out and especially when it's unhealthy and I'm sitting here with the unhealthy type one and not having grace towards him. So we have to be that way, you know, and, and, and it doesn't just have to be type one. There's people that are that way and test other way, you know other ways on the Enneagram, but, you know, when you're in church service, you know, you're, and you're in the service of the Lord, you know, we already have what, what the Lord has for us. We need to rejoice when somebody who is either, you know, never been a believer or they walked away the fit from the faith, whatever it is, when they accept the Lord as their savior and they're, they're repenting, they're changing their life and, and chasing after. And we need, we need to rejoice in that. And so we're going to take a quick break and, and then jump into Luke chapter 16. So going into Luke chapter 16, there's the parable of the shrewd manager that we see where, you know, the manager's going to lose his job and he ends up riding off and the, the, the rich man ends up commending the dishonest manager. And the thing 
about Jesus's illustration is that, you know, the worldly are earthly minded enough to promote their own interests and welfare. You know, believers, when we think about it today, believers often are not heavenly minded enough to use their earthly possessions to promote their spiritual and heavenly interests. You know, all of us have, God has given us, you know, gifts and talents to, to use, you know, and, you know, how, how are we to use that for the kingdom? That should be how, what we think about. Yes, we'll have our jobs and our careers, but how can we use those as well to, to promote the kingdom? And, and that's the thing about it is that we have to think about it is that, you know, God has entrusted us with these things and how are we going to use it and, and becoming, you know, heavenly minded instead of so earthly minded. And it's hard because we live in a world that, you know, you have bills to pay, you know, and you're trying to live life. But at the same time, you're supposed to live heavenly minded. And so it's a balance. It's a balancing act. But, you know, the more that you're into the word and more close to God, you start seeing things the way he sees it. And it's easier to get heavenly minded because it's a, it's all about renewing the mind. And we'll talk about renewing the mind, especially when, when we get to Romans. But I wanted to point off in, in, in verse 10, he's, Jesus says, whoever can be trusted with very little can also be trusted with much. And whoever is dishonest with very little will also be dishonest with much. And so, you know, and I tell this, especially to brand new believers that, you know, if you're wanting, you know, as you're, you know, gaining your feet and your roots in into the Lord, there comes a point in time that the Lord is going to start trusting you with little things. It may be, you know, cleaning the church bathroom. It may be, you know, you're helping out with the, the, the nursery or just little things here and there. And you get trusted with these little things. And as you're obedient, then he entrusts you with more and more. So that's what I wanted to point out in that part. And then there's the additional teachings and he kind of talks about the law and prophets and divorce. And it's kind of, you know, we've talked about this in this podcast before, so I'm not really going to, you know, beat the dead horse, but I wanted to point out that it's a really small section in Luke and it's like, is it not important? It's it's not necessarily that Luke is saying is not important, but you have to think about who Luke was focused on when he was presenting the gospel. He was presenting the gospel mainly to a Gentile audience. He was presenting it as salvation was for everyone, but his main focus was on the Gentiles in that time because he was a Gentile himself that had become a believer and he was pretty much you know, so like the, the law and the prophets wouldn't really matter to a Gentile. Um, and then in, in regards to divorce, he just, so he didn't really go into detail what, you know, like Matthew, where he talks about where the Pharisees and, and them come up and, and ask him about, you know, 
what Moses said. A Gentile is not going to be focused on that. He is, you know, short and sweet about what divorce is that and all and what divorce means. And so, and that it wasn't good. You know, it wasn't God's idea. It just, and he does it in a short, you know, speedy way. And that's how I'm going to, you know, focus on that is that it was just short then we jump to the rich man and Lazarus in chapter 16. And this is an interesting, you know, um, part of, of the book of Luke. Because it's the only one that shows up. Or this is the only gospel that shows up. Um, we see, you know, there's these two different people. You have this rich man and his life was consumed and self-centered living. He was focused on himself. He wasn't, he didn't care about Lazarus who was poor and, and sick essentially. And so the rich man, he, he makes a wrong choice and he suffers eternally in hell where Lazarus, he lived his life in poverty, but his heart was right with God. And and actually, I was looking up his name, and his name means God is my help. So he never gives up his faith, and when he dies, he's taken to paradise with Abraham. And it was actually pointing back to, you know, the end of it, that, before I say that, it you know, when you look at their destinies, they were irreversible at death, because... You know, and the, and the rich man wanted Abraham to send a, a man, a dead man, to to talk with his brothers, which is essentially pointing to to the the Israelites in that time to warn them. And you know, essentially, he's like, they're not going to take my warning, which is, is at this point. Jesus is saying, well, you're not taking me seriously. And we'll see that once Jesus ra is raised from the dead, when we get into the book of Acts, yes, they still preach the gospel to the, the Jewish people, but it's also expanding to the Gentiles. And, and so we'll see that. And, and we have to be careful. We can take a warning about the rich man and Lazarus that we shouldn't live our life self-centered um, because it, it will cause us to, to choose the wrong choice. We should be heavenly minded in what, what the Lord wants us to do and, and that God is our help. And so we look at that and we see essentially what is happening there and it's just and it's sad you know there are people today that still reject the gospel because um they're just really focused on themselves when you look at people who really struggle especially with addiction they're really focusing on themselves and so you have to help them to see that god is their help and and once they start getting focused on, on God and who he is, they, and it, it starts working upon their lives. And so then we jump to Luke chapter 17 and it's sin, faith, and duty, you know, sin, faith, and duty. And, 
it's just kind of these little things that happen and you know we kind of jump into you know first part of 17 where if people who you know people are bound you know that things that cause people to sin are bound to come but woe to that person through whom they come because what it is and it's a warning to us believers that if we cause somebody to sin because of our actions our words you know how we live it's on us especially if you're in a, a church leadership role it's on you then you jump into if your your brother sins rebuke him this is talking about you know if a brother sins how to handle it that that you're to rebuke him but if and if he repents forgive him you know if he sins against you seven times in a day and seven times comes back to you and says i repent forgive him and it's talking about forgiveness that we are to be like the lord constantly forgiving you know filled with grace and mercy Then there's this, it jumps to, you know, increase our faith. You know, the, the, the apostles, you know, want their faith increased. And he's like, if you have the faith as small as a, a mustard seed, you can say to this mulberry tree, be uprooted and planted in the sea and obey you. And it's, you know, faith, we think, you know, and we tend to really focus on, you know, faith almost as an idol when we we need to focus on Jesus because that's where our faith comes from and sometimes it may you know you you may be shaking in your boots but you're stepping out in faith in some area that God calls you into or you know what he wants you to do or something that he wants you to give up or you know whatever it may be in your life you're you know it could be a little bit of faith, but it just grows and, and it just builds upon, you know, I think my faith has increased more over the years compared to when I was first a believer, because I didn't understand all of God's promises when I was a brand new believer compared to now. Then he goes into the whole, um, duty that, You know, that essentially we have received, you know, from God or, you know, what he ends up talking about is essentially that what it is, is he's, he's talking about being a servant instead of lording. You know, being a, being servant-minded instead of, you know, lording yourself over somebody else. Having a servant attitude of, you know, how can I help this person? Then you have the the 10 healed of leprosy. Um, 
And actually, we're going to take a quick break and then we'll jump into the 10 healed with, with leprosy. We have the, the story of the 10 healed of the leprosy, which, you know, Jesus ends up healing 10 people with le leprosy, sends them to, to the priest, but only one comes back. And it's actually a Samaritan who really couldn't go to the priest because he was a Samaritan, but he's at Jesus's feet and he's thanking him. And essentially when we have, you know, what we've received from God in his love, his grace, his salvation, and, and all of his spiritual blessings, we must not forget to thank him. We have to have a thankful heart. And it's, it's, it's hard because we live in a society that's not filled with thankfulness. It's give me, give me, give me, and let's, let's go on. And so, um, you know, and and that's what he was talking about with those that are healed with leprosy. And, and so, you know, just think about it in your life. You know, have you been thankful to God? And if you haven't, just start, you know. And it's just simple as even making a list out, when, especially when you have an answered prayer, writing that down and just looking at those answered prayers because that's a way to develop thankfulness and and being thankful for what the Lord has done and how and who he is. And so then we jump into the coming of the kingdom of God, which, you know, is essentially, you know, as in, in Matthew 24, you know, and, and there's going to be more of that um, coming in the book of Luke for the next, when we, we talk about the, do the next weekly podcast, but essentially, you know, he's he's telling them that it, it's going to happen. And essentially how it's going to happen is just as in the days of Noah. You know, they were eating and drinking, going through life, and then the flood happened. You know, and that's just how it is. We're going to be living life normally, eating and drinking, buying and selling, and 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 having weddings and then he's just going to come back and that's just something that we have to be focused on is that and he makes a warning about you know that we should not look back just like Lot's wife you know Lot's wife wasn't heavenly minded she was worldly minded and she turned around to look back and she ended up turning into a pillar of salt and that's just something is if we're so worldly minded, we're looking back in our own lives and we end up being be, being so ungrateful that, you know, and we allow ourselves to just be so focused on the earthly stuff. And so that's just something that we need to, you know, focus on and allow the Lord just to take over our minds and to be heavenly minded and in that um, and then we jump into Luke chapter eight, verses one through or chapter 18, verses one through 14, you know, the, the parable of the persistent widow, you know, and, you know, this is just essentially talking about prayer and not giving up, um, a thing that really the Lord really put on my heart is sometimes when we don't see a breakthrough, 
when, you know, or healing, or we don't see, you know, somebody changing, you know, our spouses changing, or don't give up. Continue to pray and surrender these people to the Lord. Continue to pray. Keep seeking. Keep declaring his promises because just like the persistent widow, the judge finally, you know, granted her request because of her persistence and the Lord, his answers, you know, his promises are yes and amen. And so pray and don't give up. And, you know, when you don't think it's, you know, God hears you or that it's, that it's not meant to be, don't give up because if, you know, for example, like with healing, People think, oh, you know, well, I haven't had this healing happen, so I guess it's not meant for me. No, healing is for everyone. And so don't give up praying for healing. Don't give up praying for your lost children. Don't give up. I mean, I tell people I'm a testimony that of my, you know, of my grandma's prayers that that they do come true. So really think about it and and don't give up then we jump to the parable of the pharisee and and the tax collector and that's essentially you know talking about and as we talked about in the psalms you know this heart that's repentant and not being self-righteous you know self-righteous people think they are righteous because of their own efforts. They're not conscious of their sinful nature. They're not con- their heart is not there with the Lord. It's it's essentially religion where you had the tax collector that you know he was you know deeply conscious of his sin and guilt and in true repentance turned from sin and sought for God's for for forgiveness and and of mercy is that you know Jesus calls us you know to costly discipleship that yes we're not to be like the tax collector and and sinning whenever we want you know it's not the tax collector's lifestyle that was praised by Jesus but rather his attitude of humility, remorse, and repentance. And, but also not being self-righteous and, you know, and he doesn't condone the self-righteousness of the Pharisee. And it's just having a heart that is humble and repentant. Always have a repentant heart, you know? And when you do, I mean, it's, the Lord just works through you, especially when, you know, you, yeah, you've blown it, you know, because a lot of times you've just blown it on accident and, and the Lord really works through you. Then we get into, you know, the little children in Jesus. And we've talked about that, about the, the faith of, of having the faith of a child. I mean, the kingdom of God is open to children. And, you know, God can work through kids and youth. I believe in that. And I really strive, you know, with our teenagers to help them to 
to seek their identity and, and God and allow him to, to use them mightily. And, but, and it's so interesting to watch some of these teenagers and their simple faith, you know, it is almost childlike, especially when they're brand new believers, it's all childlike. And I just, I remember one girl, you know, we were sitting there and, you know, we were, we were having to talk about perseverance and she was just like, her faith was so simple. She's like, you know, I'm just going to go start praying for everybody in my middle school. Like, and she just had this like courage and boldness and she was just brand new. And it was just so cute to watch her that she was going to go do this. And so I just loved her and, and all of that. So, and then we get to the rich ruler, you know, this rich ruler who's, he's seeking for the kingdom of God. He's, but he was doing it through works. He was doing it through works and Jesus essentially, he knows the thing that is ensnaring him, which is his money and tells him, give it up, give it all up and come follow me. And it's hard because we all have something that, um, that holds us back and we have to essentially, you know, that, that holds us back and that can be a snare from, you know, to us from, from, from following the Lord. And it's all about, you know, as I was talking at the the beginning, the cost of discipleship, not just going in halfway, but going in all the way. And that means giving up everything, you know, at, and placing it at the feet of Jesus. And it's, it's not by our own strength. It's through Jesus that we're able to, and it's only through Jesus that we find salvation. And then he, he, you know, predicts his, his death. And we see that his disciples don't understand it. And it was, it was hidden to them at that time, but it was going to be revealed. And so the last few parts in this podcast is that he, or the blind beggar receives his sight, which we've seen that in Matthew, Mark as well. And, you know, Matthew, it was two blind beggars. Mark, it was a man named Bartimaeus. And it's just still the same thing where, you know, just like the parable of the persistent window, just being persistent about, you know, he was persistent for this healing. And, and, and we see that he, he's healed and even Jesus doesn't even touch him. You know, that he says, you know, receive your sight. And, your faith has healed, healed you. And he, he's, he rejoices and, and he follows Jesus. And when people saw it as well, they praised it. It was an opening. And we also have Zacchaeus, the, the, the tax collector. And, and you'll hear children's songs about Zacchaeus, that he was a short man and he climbs up the tree because he was he was wanting to see Jesus. And I wonder what it was like for Zacchaeus as he climbs up and just to have the 
have Jesus look up at him and say, hey, come down. I'm going to your house tonight. I wonder how he felt because we see that he he repents and that salvation came to his house because of that. And, and Jesus, when they were being critical, he's like, I came here to seek and to save what was lost. He wasn't there for the healthy. He was there for those who were sick, who were, you know, he was there to bring salvation, you know, light to the darkness. And, and so that's how we should be, you know, and, and people go, well, you shouldn't be, you know, hanging around sinners. You shouldn't be, you know, for example, hanging around a sinner in a bar, you know, unless you're there just to eat the hamburgers or something, whatever, but you shouldn't be there to drink with them and, and condone their drinking and their alcohol problem. You need to be with them like out fishing and, and, and talking or, you know, grilling at home. You know, it's, it's all about that we're not to be part of the world, but we're, you know, we're not to be part, you know, condone of the, of the things of this world, but we are to go out there and, and share the gospel. And that's the only way you can do that is rubbing shoulders. You know, which, you know, brings into closing the, the parable of the 10 minus, which, you know, is uh, the parable, the talents, you know, God has given us all these things. How are you going to use them? You know, the gifts, the talents he's given you, the opportunities, how are you going to use them? Are you just going to squander it and just go live your own life self-centered or are you going to be heavenly minded and put it to work and, and add more to his kingdom and bring glory to his name? You know, that's the, the question about it all. And so that was all for, for the book of Luke. Um, so for the next weekly podcast, and we're going to, you know, start at Luke chapter 19, verse 28, and we're going to end at Luke chapter 23, verse 25. So, you know, break that up however you want and, and that's what we'll do. And so I'm just going to end in a prayer and I just want to say, thank you, Lord Jesus, for who you are. Lord, we just thank you that you came to seek and save what is lost, to bring light to the darkness, Lord. I pray, Lord, that you just begin to work in our hearts mightily, Lord, and that you would open up our minds to be heavenly minded. Help us to reach out to people who are maybe counting the cost about serving you, Lord. Help us to reach to them and to those who don't even know you, Lord, to rub shoulders and, and, and be a light, Lord. Help us to not squander what you've given us, Lord, but to to share it and and be a witness here on the earth, Lord. Continue to be glorified and magnified in our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. Have a great day, you guys. Mm-hmm.